the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Hey, good afternoon and welcome, ladies and gentlemen. This is Gino Geraci. I'm so glad you could join me on the program Crosswalk with Gino Geraci. It is, of course, the program where we typically take your calls and answer your questions about the things you care the most about. We talk about God and the historical Jesus. We talk about the Bible. We talk about world views and world religions. We've been talking a lot about world religions lately. Um, but if you'd like to join me on the program, it's 303-873-1935. Wishing you and yours all a wonderful Thanksgiving and hoping and praying that you have lots and lots to be thankful for. And one of the things I am really thankful for, well, is the Savior. And I am also thankful for a Bible. But not just any Bible, but a Bible that can be trusted. And so, again, as you can imagine, I've devoted a great deal of my life to asking and answering the question, can I trust the Bible? And because I believe that we can trust the Bible, that's why I'm so encouraged to um tell you that I think you can trust the Bible as well. 303-873-1935 is the number if you want to join me on the program. Producer Jim Nichols is standing by to take your call at 303-873-1935 if you'd like to join me on the program. 303-873-1935. And on the program, remember, we, I, I'm fond of saying that we talk about the past, which is history, and we talk about the future, which is prophecy, and we talk about the here and the now. And I was reading um, an article by Ayan Hirsi Ali. She's a research fellow at Stanford's Hoover Institute, a former senior fellow at Harvard Kennedy School. And um, there's been several articles about her quote-unquote converting to Christianity. Now, again, a lot of people have uh, been commenting because Ayan Hirsi Ali um, grew up in Kenya and converted to Islam, or she was uh, an Islamist by and large. She left Islam and became a full-blown atheist along the lines of Richard Dawkins and Sam Harris. And so her uh, conversion to, um, to Christianity is generated a lot of discussion. And she's written that Western civilization is under threat from three different but related forces. She wrote that the three different but related forces include the resurgence of great power authoritarianism, 
and the expansionism in the form of the Chinese Communist Party and Vladimir Putin's Russia, the rise of global Islamism, which threatens to mobilize a vast population against the West. And she included the viral spread of woke ideology, which is eating into the moral fiber of the next generation. But I couldn't help but think about those three things and how they relate to one another. Because what the Chinese Communist Party and Vladimir Putin's Russia and Islamism and woke ideology all have in common is a profound hatred of historical, biblical Christianity. So I'm going to read a little bit from the American Minute. These are notable events of American significance remembered on the date that they occurred. And for November 20th, Bill Federer writes, and I quote, On June 25th, 1962, the Supreme Court stopped school prayer. Ronald Reagan said March 6th, 1984, quote, From the early days of the American colonies, prayer in schools was practiced and revered as an important tradition. Indeed, for nearly two centuries of our history, it was considered a natural expression of our religious freedom. Then in 1962, the Supreme Court declared school prayer illegal. Reagan continued, Well, I firmly believe the loving God who has blessed our land and made us a good, caring people should never have expelled. It should never have been expelled from America's classrooms, unquote. Senate Majority Leader Robert Byrd, who was born November 20th, 1917, agreed, stating, quote, in no other place in the United States are there so many official evidences of faith in God on the part of the government as there are in Washington. On the south banks of Washington's tidal basin, Jefferson still speaks. Can the liberties of a nation be secure when we have removed a conviction that these liberties are the gift of God? Indeed, I tremble for my country when I reflect that God is just and that his justice cannot sleep forever. And then Senator Robert Byrd concluded, Jefferson's words are a forceful and explicit warning that to remove from to remove God from this country is to destroy it. Interesting. 303-873-1935. That's the number if you want to join me on the program 303-873-1935. Let's see who's up. Is it Brady? Yes, hello. This is Brady Crenshaw. How are you doing? Doing good. All right. Yes, I just have a question for you. I'm just curious of what you think about once saved, always saved. Because we get in arguments about that or just telling them about that, but I don't believe it, but I'm not for sure if it's the truth or not. Well, you know, uh, the way that I would I would characterize the conversation, Um one of my favorite quotes is from a very famous Bible teacher. His name is J. Vernon McGee. I don't know if you've ever heard of him. But J. Vernon no, McGee, J. Is a, yeah, he's a very famous Bible teacher, and he used to say, I believe in the assurance of the believer, 
and I believe in the non-assurance of the make-believer. And so the way that I think about it isn't so much once saved, always saved, but rather the assurance of salvation. And so what does that mean? And to me, one of the most um, impressive passages of scriptures in 1 John chapter 5, verses 11 through 13. And there, John, the apostle, writes, he says, and this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. Now, the reason why I, I point that scripture out is because at the beginning when it says, and this is the testimony, that word testimony requires three things. It requires a reputation for honesty, a willingness to tell the truth, and then the ability to tell the truth. And so this is the testimony God has given us, he says, that we have eternal life, that it's not temporal, it's not probationary, and that this life is in his son. So to your point, anyone who thinks that they have life in their church, in their denomination, in their background, in their history, or their family's faith, they don't have real faith. So Christians can have assurance that everyone who has Jesus has life, and no one who does not have Jesus does not have life. So that's my quick answer to you, okay? Okay, thank you. I appreciate it. Hey, welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. This is Gino Geraci. So glad you could join me on the program, the number... It's 303-873-1935. The program is, of course, called Crosswalk. (laughs) 303-873-1935. I was just talking uh, with a caller about the assurance of salvation. And what's interesting to me about um, that subject is um, the question about, you know, people talk about once saved, always saved. But to me, there's a couple of ways of thinking about this that I think are important. The first is, does the Bible offer assurance for an individual's salvation? And I'm going to suggest to you that many, many people struggle with assurance of their salvation. And I think one of the challenges is so many people look in the wrong place for the assurance of their salvation. They look at their feelings, or they look at their friends, or they look at their performance. Or can you imagine if you look at your success or your failures as the sources for assurance? So if you're seeking assurance from somewhere other than God and from the Bible itself, that's where you could get into trouble. And so, but let's even think about good things or what you might characterize as a good thing. 
Like, imagine you're looking for assurance of salvation because you're going to church, because you're reading your Bible, because you're experiencing spiritual growth, or because you're doing good works, or you're struggling, or even having some modest successes at obeying God's word. And you see all of those as evidences in your Christian walk. And and don't get me wrong, um, a changed life, spiritual growth, good works, obedience, these are all good things, and they could be evidences of salvation, but they're not the assurance of salvation. If you want assurance of your salvation, then I think where you need to go is to the promises of God in the Scripture. And so, again, the number's 303-873-1935. As I was talking to the earlier caller, and I quoted 1 John chapter 5, verses 11 through 13, where it says, and this is the testimony, God has given us eternal life. In other words, the source of eternal life is God, and he's the one who imparts eternal life. And this life is in his son. He who has the son has life. He who does not have the son of God does not have life. And so John writes, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the son of God. And Jesus himself offers the same assurance when he says, I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one can snatch them out of my hand. In John ten twenty eight, he says, My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. So eternal life is just that, eternal. 303-873-1935. Let's see who's up. Michael, welcome to the program. Hi, Michael. Welcome Hi, to the program. This is whosoever. Yeah, John 316. What about? <laughs> That's my assurance. I am whosoever. And well, that's John 316. Who? Yeah. Yep. Exactly. I don't need more assurance than that. Well, and that so there we have it. We, well, to, well, whether you need it or not, the Bible gives it, and Jesus gives it. <laughs> and I believe the Bible from Genesis one to the end of Revelation. <laughs> well, thank you for your call, and happy Thanksgiving. Three zero three eight seven three nineteen thirty five. That's the number. If you want to join me on the program, 303-873-1935. Let's see who's up. Steve, welcome to the program. Hey, Gino, how you doing? I'm doing good. Good, good. Well, thank you for your show. Thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for years upon years of taking calls. And um, I have a question for you, not related to assurance. Okay. It is related to preaching and sermons. Uh, Charles Spurgeon talks about the importance of having Christ mentioned or or even central in every sermon, no matter what text is used, Old Testament or New Testament, 
Um, there is a preacher from the past who I think G. Campbell Morgan said, give me any chapter in the Bible and I will preach Jesus out of it. I wanted to see if you think that's an overreach, if that can be forced at times, if that is a goal, if that's a goal of yours, um, just what your thoughts are. Around yeah, that. yeah. You, you know, there is a there is a thing in hermeneutics called trajectory hermeneutics, <laughs> where where okay. where you you go. You know, some people will say the text, leave the text, and never return to the text. Now, sure, sure. Spurgeon Spurgeon uh, said something very similar to what you just said. He basically said. I, I teach what the text says, but then I make a beeline to the cross. Yes. So okay. so to your point, um, what is the point of preaching? And in my view, the point of preaching is Jesus. And, and I think of the very classic passage of Scripture, which you're very familiar with. Jesus is speaking to the religious leaders, and he says, you search the scriptures because in them you think that you have life, but they are those which testify of me. And so is it okay, is it okay to make a beeline a la Spurgeon to the cross? And and I and and I and I think that the answer is yes. Now, does that mean that everything, everything, everything is going to be um, a gospel message where you you're calling on someone to repent of their sin and turn to Christ? Well, I hope so. I would hope so. Why not take advantage of a, a yes. of of an opportunity for people to hear uh, the the story of salvation? But is it okay? Um, I'm, I'm trying to imagine a world where I'm teaching the Bible and Jesus doesn't get mentioned. And then, so I know. I, and I'm I'm looking at the New Testament documents, and and mm-hmm. and for many many people, uh, Paul in writing he seems almost redundant when he's saying Jesus this and Jesus that, and you know mm-hmm. Jesus there is no other name given under heaven whereby we we can be saved. So so if I were to make an error, if you want to use that term. I would say yeah. Paul seems to to err on the side of Jesus. He his yeah. is a Christocentric message when he's writing. It seems to be a Christocentric message when he's teaching and preaching. I can't think of a single example of Paul saying anything in the New Testament without including Jesus. Yeah, well, I think that's right. I I also think as we look through Jesus' eyes in how he read the Old Testament, he was always making uh, connections with himself of how it points to him. I'm reminded post-resurrection how he was walking on the, what is it, the road to Emmaus, and he Uh says, uh, beginning with the law and the prophets, he taught them everything concerning himself. But I think his suggestion is it all does point to him. So, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Well, thank you. Thank you very much. And I don't know, I, I guess the, the, the thing that prompted my call was when I hear a sermon and I don't hear the name of Jesus in it anywhere, I'm bothered by that. This is good. It should rub you the wrong way. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you again. Appreciate you. All right. Thanks so much. This is Gino Geraci. Thanks for joining me. 303-873-1935. I'll be back. Hey, welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. This is Gino Geraci. So glad you could join me on the program. The number is 303 
Um, 873-1935, 303-873-1935. Let's see who's up. Sandy, welcome to the program. Hi, Hi Sandy. Gino. Hi. <laughs> Hi. Um, so I have a question. I, You know, to me, and I think you said Skip Heisek or Greg Laurie, somebody believes that Ezekiel 38 and 39 could be happening. Um, and and so I had, you know, I, it just seems like it's falling into place. And so I was talking to my son who went to the School of Ministry and graduated. And, and um, I was saying that, and he says that I have a different thought on that because God is the one that annihilates the armies in Megiddo. Why would he do that before the end, you know, the end of the tribulation and come back and do it again? There's two what are mentions. your thoughts? Yeah, there's two mentions of Gog and Magog in Ezekiel 38 and 39 in Revelation chapter 20, verses 7 through 8. Um, and those events are separated by a thousand-year um, period. So to your to your point, okay, um, n- and not all scholars believe. So there are two basic theories about Ezekiel 38 and 39, okay? The first mm-hmm. is that all of this happens before the tribulation begins. The second, mm-hmm. obviously, is the, the <laughs> idea that during the first part of the seven-year tribulation, it takes place. So, so to the first theory, it, will this take place before the tribulation? It, it requires that after the battle... The, the, this view points to the fact that after the battle, the people of Israel will be burning the enemy's weapons for seven years and will spend over seven months burying the dead in Ezekiel 39, verses 9 and 10, and then again in verses 12 through 16. That length of time most likely requires for the battle to be fought before the tribulation and possibly even before the rapture of the church. The second theory is that during the first part of the seven-year tribulation, um, this view hinges on the fact that Israel is living at peace when the attack begins. So, So pause and think about that for just a moment. To the north is Hezbollah. Uh, to the north and the east is Syria. To the south is um, Gaza and the Houthis now. And so what, whatever you think about how Israel is living right now, Israel is not living in peace. This is not – peace is not a, a, a way of uh, describing Israel's security at this point. So, so there are those who, who anticipate – that that maybe what's happening right now is going to result in a monstrous, if you want to use that term, victory for Israel, where Israel will so defeat its enemies in such a devastating way that 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 the surrounding nations will say, you know what, let's just, you know, uh, killing all the Jews and driving them into the sea is not a good idea. Let's just not do that. I hope that's true. <laughs> well, and, I mean, and, and, and so yeah, so so there are people, and so even my friend Joel Rosenberg and Skip, of course, um, who's my very good friend. If if you were to ask them, um, do you think that Ezekiel thirty eight and thirty nine 
take place before the tribulation or or during the tribulation? I think both of them would say it all depends. <laughs> oh. it, de- it depends on, on, on just exactly what I just said. So according to Ezekiel, Magog will not win, whether it's before the tribulation or afterwards. Because uh-huh. God will, so according to Ezekiel 38 and 39, God intervenes to preserve Israel. So this isn't the battle of Armageddon like you talked about in Revelation chapter 20, even though Gog and Magog are mentioned. So that's separated by a thousand years. Okay. Okay. So well, my gonna, answer, yeah, so my answer yeah. would be, again, it depends. <laughs> <laughs> it, okay. Is it possible that something like Ezekiel 38 and 39 can unfold rather quickly? Well, now for the first time ever, Iran, Russia, and Turkey seem to be organizing in a way that could be disastrous for Israel. Yeah. But again, I... according to Ezekiel 38 and 39, no matter what, no matter what, God will intervene. Ezekiel thirty-eight nineteen. There shall be a great earthquake. Every man's sword will be against his brother, and God will pour down torrents of rain, hailstones, burning sulfur on Gog mm-hmm. and on his troops and on the many nations with them. So the result mm-hmm. is that the nations see God's greatness and holiness. And mm-hmm. uh, so to your point, it just depends. It, and I'm hoping and praying that, you know, people ask me the question, what's the best way to end this war? And to me, it's to win the war. It's to win it. It's to win this war decisively so that Israel's enemies will just leave her alone. Yes. It's, what they've done is very wicked. And right. um, another, do I have a second? More? Sure, quickly. Okay, okay. I, I'm really saddened by hearing that the, uh, women in our country are turning to Muslim, and it Islam, makes me yeah. feel like, have, yeah, Islam, and it makes me feel like, have we done a good job at professing Jesus to, you know, this generation or whatever? They don't understand. They they're going to lose their freedom and their life, and their ability unless they come to Christ to go to heaven. But they don't know that, and I think that's bad. all the yeah. All the more reason continue to give them the gospel. Point mm-hmm. out that that Satan's lie that real freedom is the freedom to save yourself by keeping the rules won't mm-hmm. work. Mm-hmm. Okay. Thank you so much, Tino. I, hey, I appreciate hey. Thank you for your you call. Guys. Have a nice Thanksgiving. <laughs> you too. Thanks. 303-873-1935. Jimbo, how much time do I have? James, welcome to the program. Hello, Gino. Hi. I, I first want to acknowledge that your Wisdom and knowledge has inspired my walk with the Lord. So thank you for that. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you. Um, my position, I'm talking, I'm calling about Bishop Joseph Strickland and Pope yeah. Francis. 
And uh, the statement from the Pope, uh, the depo- there is no deposit of faith. Um, looking at the NIV version on 2 Corinthians 1, 2 Corinthians 5, and Ephesians 1, it specifically uses the term deposit, and, and I believe it's in reference to the Holy Spirit. Can you comment on that, please? Say, say the passage again that you're thinking uh, of, a deposit uh, of faith. Uh, no, it's not deposit of, well, the deposit of faith is from Pope, there is no deposit of faith from Pope Francis. And I'm looking at 2 Corinthians 1, 21 through 22, and 2 Corinthians 5, 5, and Ephesians 1, 13 through 14, the NIV version. Yeah, you you know what, uh, this is going to take me just a, uh, okay. a little bit longer to to answer and we're coming up um yeah. on a on a on a little break here right but yeah we we can talk about that and and we can talk about um at least what the bible has to say about this and and you know it's it's hard for me to get into francis's brain that's the place where i don't want to be but uh, because I, I don't have enough time or, or crayons to be able to explain it to Pope Francis. But but we, we, we can talk about it when we come back from this break, okay? Yes, thank you. This is Gino Geraci. I'll be right back. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. This is Gino Geraci. So glad you could join me on the program. And James, I've been thinking about your question, or you know, thinking about what you said, and I'm trying to um, figure out a couple of things. So, so the way that I would, in part, answer your question, I think, is that the Holy Spirit in, in 2 Corinthians chapter one verse twenty two, and in Ephesians chapter one verse thirteen, and, and elsewhere. The Holy Spirit is referred to as a deposit, as a seal, as an earnest, or like a down payment in the hearts of Christians, okay? And, yeah. and then going back to what the Pope may or may not have said, and so I have no, I would have to, I need to check sources here. But I, I'm just going to give you the Catholic version of what is the deposit of faith. So I'm a little disturbed by what you said, not in, in a way, because I think that um, that Pope Francis is doing more harm to Catholicism than Protestantism ever did. Now, don't don't get I'm, I, that isn't me saying saying as as an affirmation of Roman Catholicism, but I happen to have been you know, born, raised, educated a Catholic. And in Catholicism, the deposit of faith is the body of revealed truth in the scripture and the sacred tradition, okay? So just pause and think about that for just a minute. When a Roman Catholic says the deposit of faith, what they typically mean is, again, the corpus, the entire the the kit and caboodle, if you will, of revealed truth in the scripture and then the sacred tradition. So if the Pope said there is no deposit of faith, that's that's got to be really a big, huge red flag for Catholics everywhere. 
But back to the the question of what does the Bible mean when the Bible uses that term? You'll remember in 2 Corinthians, um, it talks about, but as surely as God is faithful, our message to you is not yes and no. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who was preached among you by us, by me and Silas and Timothy was not yes and no, but in him it has always been yes. And so so here's Paul arguing that there is a deposit. In other words, there's something that has been given to the apostles and, and, and to the prophets um, that is a deposit. It's the truth of the scripture. It's a different question about sacred tradition. So again, I'm not exactly sure... Uh, the context of your of your comment about the Pope. Do you remember wh- when he said this and why he said it? Well, I've been looking at some videos um, on YouTube, and uh, they are actually uh, the bishop and the Pope saying these words. Uh, using those to- terms, using those terms. Absolutely, yes. Yeah, and that's see- what this brings to me. Well, well, and again, so when, again, <laughs> when we use different words, you can imagine that different people mean different things by it. But when a Catholic or at least an observant Catholic uses that term, he means the sum or he she means the sum and the substance of the revelation of the scripture and the traditions of the Roman Catholic Church. So if he's if he's saying something like what you're implying and then firing the uh the conservative bishops because they happen to adhere to the scriptures and the traditions you can imagine that for roman catholics they see pope francis as tearing the church apart well that was somewhat my assumption as a christian not understanding catholicism um, I'm trying not to read into it. That's why I reached out to you. Right. Um, and, and so that, that's where uh, I'm troubled because, again, there, there doesn't seem any, any good way out of what you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> True. Um, and I've spoken to a few Catholics recently, and actually my wife was raised uh, Roman Catholic. And people I've talked to, they have never heard of the deposit of faith. They, they don't know what that is. Right. The deposit of faith is the body of revealed truth according to the Roman Catholic Church. So if you if you actually go to Roman Catholic websites um, and um, they they will um, tell you what I just said. As a matter of fact, I'm at I'm at Catholic faith and reason dot org. And this is what it says. Okay, quote. The deposit of faith is the body of saving truth entrusted by Christ to the apostles and handed on by them to be preserved and proclaimed. Jesus ordered them to teach the nations everything I have commanded you and assured them, know that I am with you always, even to the end of the earth. So this is from a Roman Catholic website. This is not from a, a Protestant website. Okay. Well, I don't. Okay. I mean, I'm I'm good with it before I spoke with you, and I'm and I'm better now that I spoke with you. Uh, should I try to send you some of the information I have, or are we just gonna let it let it go? 
Um, I'm okay. I, I am. I, I'm. I'm getting more and more information on um, on this, and and I get questions on the other thing called the Treasury of Merit. And I, I wasn't sure if that's what you were talking about, you know, because sometimes people get confused about what the, that is. But the Treasury of Merit is something that's completely um, un- unbiblical. Yeah. Because no one gets to go to heaven on the basis of their own merit. Absolutely, yes. Thank you, my brother. Okay. Hey, thank you for your call. Three zero three eight seven three nineteen thirty five. Three zero three eight seven three nineteen thirty five. Let's see. Is it Lynette? Lynette. Hi, Gino. Hi. Yes, it's Lynette, and my question has to do with um, the role of the Holy Spirit during the millennium, since some will be saved at that during that time. That's my understanding, and also in the heavenly kingdom or the new heaven and the new earth. Um, yeah. For eternity, what will be the role of the Holy Spirit then? Right. What, a, what an interesting question. And the way that I would um, answer that question is that the role of the Holy Spirit is going to be very much like the role of the Holy Spirit is now in the sense of he convicts of sin of of righteousness and that Jesus is the Lord. The question of the Holy Spirit being present during the tribulation is based on a misunderstanding of 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 verse 7 which says for the secret power of lawlessness is already at work but the one who now holds it back will continue to do so till he's taken out of the way. And so right now prior to the tribulation one of the ministries of the Holy Spirit is the restraint of evil. In verses 8 and 9, we learn that the restraining power of the Holy Spirit is holding back the lawless one, the Antichrist. So, to your point, so does the Holy Spirit restrain evil right now? I think that the answer is yes. Will the Holy Spirit's restraint of evil be different in the tribulation? So this is to the, to your question, okay? And and I think that the answer is yes. The Holy Spirit is going to allow, and I, I mean this not as a pun, okay? All hell will break loose, okay? In other words, Satan, the lawless one, will be able to do things that they weren't able to do before. In other words, the Holy Spirit, I, I don't think there will be unlimited evil but it will be severely um there there will be great allowances for evil during the time of the tribulation but your question is really a good one and i I gotta go but if you don't mind call me back because i want to tell you the rest of the story three-star general michael j flynn head of the pentagon intelligence agency knew all the government's dirty secrets he was one of the most respected generals in the military flynn knew what the intel world had been up to he understood its funding he ordered the first audit of the use of contractors this set off alarm bells 
the explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.